The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Punk Rock HR is sponsored by BetterWorks. The world's most dynamic organizations rely on BetterWorks to accelerate growth by supporting transparent goal setting, enabling continuous performance, and learning from employee insights. BetterWorks is on a mission to help HR leaders make work better. Discover how they can help you by visiting betterworks.com today. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome back to a bonus episode of Punk Rock HR. My guest this week is Nicole Roberts. You may know that name because Nicole is an HR leader who's very active in the Ohio SHRM, SHRM National Disrupt HR and Work Human Communities. Nicole is an HR leader, a mentor, a mom, and a friend. And she is also fighting for her life and fighting for career footing because she was recently laid off at the same time she was diagnosed with breast cancer. That is some terrible luck. And so my friend Jennifer McClure and I sat down with Nicole to talk about how she's doing, what she's thinking, how she's feeling, and how she's coping with a really challenging period in her life. I know from my own family experience that cancer is financially disheartening. It takes you out at the knees. Even if you have tons of money saved up for your retirement, The first thing you do is drain your bank accounts before you ask for any help. And Nicole is currently paying for her health insurance on COBRA. And she recognizes how lucky she is to have a community and people who love her and the ability to pay her COBRA benefit. But cancer has done a number on her. And so Jen McClure and I are proud to announce that we are sponsoring a fundraiser, a GoFundMe for Nicole Roberts. And you can learn more at the following website, bit.ly forward slash nrobertshr, all lowercase because bit.ly is case sensitive. That will take you right to Nicole Roberts's GoFundMe page or just go visit GoFundMe directly and type in Nicole Roberts HR and you will find her and we encourage you to make a donation. $5, $10, $20, whatever you have, help buy Nicole dinner ease her suffering, ease her burden. And if you can't do that, that's absolutely fine. Make sure you share the fundraising link on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram with the hashtag SHRM23 or DisruptHR. Just get it out there. Get it out there in the HR community. Nicole has mentored so many of us. She's a friend to so many of us. And I would be absolutely delighted to know that people in the punk rock HR community have Nicole's back. So without further delay, here's our conversation with our absolutely smart, interesting, funny, beautiful, witty, brilliant friend, Nicole Roberts. 
Well, welcome, Nicole, to the podcast today. We're so excited to have you here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're all about? Yeah, so uh, I'm Nicole Roberts, and I have been in HR for almost 20 years. Pretty crazy to even imagine that at this point. But yeah, I mean, I started my career in, in benefits and have been at HR Department of One a couple of times and moved into executive leadership probably about five, 10 years ago. And actually, most recently, uh, after a, a layoff, I decided to create my own business. And so I founded and am obviously the president of People Solutions Group. And the thought behind that was, you know, we've always been saying in HR that there's business challenges and they need people solutions. And so that was the, the thought behind the name of the business. I absolutely love the name. And I can't believe the URL is still available to you. So you are a lucky, lucky girl. Well, obviously, I've known you for a long time and followed your career. And, and we're going to talk today about some of the recent happenings in your career. But I want to hear particularly and starting the company, I'm sure is part of your story. Tell us about your journey from losing your last job in the corporate world back in December of 2022. What's been happening with you since then? Yeah, so I started my role with that company. It was a tech startup at the end of June and less than three weeks weeks into me starting with that company, we laid off 68% of the company. And then in December, I was laid off. And nine days after I was laid off, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Wow. Well, can you talk to us a little bit about receiving that diagnosis of breast cancer? Uh, you know, you feel free to tell us as much as you want, what stage, whatever. But I mostly want to know what it felt like because you're very young and you're very vibrant. And that must have been, I'm assuming, a shock. Yeah. So I had noticed a lump back in like March, April timeframe. And I'd actually seen a surgeon at that time. I had a mammogram and ultrasound. But it was kind of inconclusive because I had really dense tissue. And I've heard through my support group now that that actually happens to quite a few people. And so it was kind of dismissed as dense tissue and calcification and scar tissue and just whatever. And so that surgeon did order an MRI, but the insurance company denied it. And so when the insurance denied it and the doctor really didn't seem to think that there was anything to be worried about, you know, I kind of went on about my way and I kept an eye on it and it kept growing and it kept getting harder. And then on the Sunday before Thanksgiving, actually, I was getting ready to get in the shower and I did a double take. I had a noticeable difference. Uh, on the left side where I'd been keeping an eye on this this lump and my nipple had become inverted the skin was all pulled down together around where that lump was and so that that got me pretty concerned and I decided you know I don't care what anybody else says there's something not right about this and I need to get a second opinion and so through trusted friends, uh, I got a referral for a second opinion. And that's when I met my current surgeon. So he looked at my chart and ordered the MRI that had been denied before and did some magic to make sure that it got approved. Uh, and then also ordered a repeat ultrasound and mammogram because you could actually see changes over a six month period of time. And so I get, got in the following Wednesday since that was a holiday week and the MRI lit up like a Christmas tree and showed 
an extensive area of what they call suspicious non-mass enhancement. And the measurement was seven by three by six centimeters, which is pretty big. And so non-mass just means that the tumor was not a perfect round mass. So where I felt a lump, a round lump, there was layers of tissue in there. And so it, it was very dense and it was hard for, you know, the MRI and, and, or not the MRI, but the mammogram and the ultrasound to actually be able to determine like, hey, what's, what's suspicious and what's not. And so at that time, they gave me what's called a BIRADS category four for a level of suspicion in the report. And BIRADS is just a standard measurement. So it's the breast imaging reporting and data system. So any surgeon could interpret it. Any radiologist could interpret that. And it's a score from zero to six. And so mine was a four. So it was it was suspicious and they said it very well may be cancerous, but the only way that you can actually diagnose breast cancer is through a biopsy. And so the earliest that I could be scheduled for a biopsy was December 19th. And that day there were eight samples taken and I got my results on December 21st. All of the samples were cancer and it was also metastatic to my lymph nodes. All of the samples in my lymph nodes were also cancer. And so I knew I had a fight to prepare for and just wanted to find out what the plan was. I knew that once I had a plan that I would be okay. Mm-hmm. So obviously that was a holidays time of year. You'd just been laid off from your job and probably thinking about what was next, but you needed support during that time. So who did you reach out to or did you have someone that you kind of talked to that is in your close circle that helped you kind of process this news at that time? So the first person that I told was actually a friend of mine who's an OBGYN. And the reason why he was the first person I told is because he wouldn't sugarcoat anything with me. So when I had the MRI results and I got the, you know, suspicious non-mass, da-da-da, BIRADS category four, I'm like, what does this mean in human speak? Like, tell me. And I said to him point blank, I said, do they think I have cancer? And he said, yes, they do. And I said, okay, well, they're going to schedule a biopsy next. And he said, okay, well, keep me posted. And so when I got the biopsy results, then, I mean, I literally took a screenshot from my my chart because, of course, that's where it came first. And I sent it to him. And he called me immediately and he said, get ready to fight. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about most people at the end of the year, it's crazy enough, right? You know, you're dealing with end of year holidays, you get laid off and you have this cancer diagnosis. And I think, you know, if not for the cancer diagnosis, a lot of people would be like, I'm taking two weeks off. I'll start this at the beginning of the year. What was your approach in the new year? I mean, did you slam headfirst into a job search? Because you have to also fight for your life at this point. So I got laid off, uh, December 12th. And I reached out to my network immediately. I said, Hey, I just lost my job. If you hear of anything that, you know, would be something I'd be a good fit for, please let me know. Likewise, if there's anything consulting, I mean, contract work wise that I can do, please let me know. I mean, I'm a single mom of two high school kids. Like I was not prepared for this. And uh, there was no way that I was going to just 
sit and wait. And also the market was beginning to change. And I thought, well, I, I need to be ahead of this. I need to make sure that I can take care of my kids and, you know, can pay my bills and that I am getting as many people to know that I'm looking for a job as possible. Hmm. I know some of your friends did connect you with some potential opportunities and you were out there interviewing. How does that go when you are beginning to start treatment and does that come up during the interview or do you bring it up or is it something that you chose not to disclose? So breast cancer diagnosis is really, and obviously I don't know because I haven't been diagnosed with any other type of cancer, but I can tell you that it's almost like a matrix on how you determine what your plan is. So right after I was diagnosed, I saw my surgeon and then I met the medical oncologist. And then immediately I got scheduled for a PET scan because they have to make sure that, you know, it's not anywhere else in your body because that will also determine what type of treatment you have. And I had to have a hormone receptor testing because if your chemo isn't, or if your cancer is not receptive to chemo, that hormone receptor testing will be able to tell you that. So I didn't have a, a plan immediately. And so I had to wait for PET scan results. And very thankfully, it was only in the lump and in my lymph node that I already knew about. So there were there was nothing else to do with that. I had to have an EKG because I had to make sure my heart was healthy enough for chemo. And then I had to have the, the receptor test and genetic testing because they would have to take out my ovaries if I had the, if I was positive for the genetic testing. And so started to go through that process and with that testing and, and trying to find out, you know, hey, what is our plan? And in the meantime, joined a closed private group on Facebook that was called Breast Cancer Support, I've Got This. And meeting other people that had already been through the, the, the phase that I was in, I knew that, okay, well, I need to wait for this and this, and then I'll have a plan and then I'll know what I'm doing. Because the last thing I wanted to do was share with a prospective employer, oh yeah, I got diagnosed with cancer and I have no idea what my plan is. I have no idea what my treatment looks like. I don't know if I have to have chemo or I'm going straight to surgery. I mean, there were so many things that weren't known yet that I had to really not share until I had a plan. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, Nicole, listening to you, I mean, cancer is a full-time job, right? So managing your cancer and then you're looking for work. And then at some point you decide to be an entrepreneur, which requires you to be healthy and on top of things, or you get old and sad like me, you know? And so, I mean, it's, it's a journey. So I'm, I'm just thinking about how you're managing your health through all of this. Like, uh, have you incorporated different well-being tactics? I mean, what does health management look like just so you can stay strong to fight the cancer, let alone fight for your career? Yeah. So mindset is everything. And I decided going into it that there wasn't an option for me of not not getting through it, of not fighting, like those were not options for me. So once I knew, okay, because my tumor is hormone positive, hormone receptor positive, and HER2 negative, I'm a good candidate for chemotherapy. And because my tumor was over five centimeters, I kind of had to have neoadjuvant chemotherapy before surgery. And so once I knew that, and I was getting scheduled for the port placement, and I had a plan, that's when I shared with my children, hey, just so you know, this is what's going on with mom. This is our plan. And 
this is, you know, this is what the next couple of months are going to look like, like at least the next five months, because I was given two regimens. And the first one was a really intense, it's called adriamycin and cytoxin. And I was given a dense dose of that every two weeks for four, four cycles. And then the next one after that is called Taxol. And that's a weekly chemo that is for 12 weeks. And so I actually have my ninth one of the Taxol coming up this Friday. So I'm, I'm in the home stretch. But at the time, you know, I mean, it was, okay, I have had surgery before I've had, you know, uh, procedures before I've done things before. And so it, it was really interesting because my oncologist actually was like waiting for me to cry in the office, waiting for me to have like some kind of emotional break. And it was, I I mean, I kind of told her, I said, I'm a single mom. I don't have the luxury of that. Like I needed my plan. I needed to figure out what I was doing. Like, let me know so that I can figure this all out. And there's nothing that is going to happen to me that I can't get through. Like I have a 100% survival rate of getting through hard things, right? And so if I can't control the cancer, can't control, you know, I mean, I can control side effects to an extent, but I mean, I discovered not really. <laughs> and for somebody who's a super type A control freak, let me tell you, cancer will laugh at your control freakness. But I couldn't control any of that. And so all I could control was how I responded to things and how I approached this this process, approached losing my job, approached being diagnosed with cancer. And I just decided that I was going to be grateful for every positive aspect, for every improvement in my condition, for every day that I woke up. I mean, there are people that have cancer that are in incredible amount of pain. I'm not in pain. I'm tired, but I'm not in pain. So, I mean, I'm grateful for that. So I hear you. I hear you on the mindset. And I just wanted to quickly jump in because you can control your mindset. How about the mindset of your children? What's that like right now? So they panicked, obviously, when I first told them that I had cancer, they immediately wanted to know what stage it was, because that was the only thing that they could really relate to when it came to cancer. And I mean, in the beginning, I was like, well, I think that when I get this test, then they'll give me a stage or when I get this done, then they'll give me a stage. So that part was kind of, kind of clunky. But once I had a plan and once they knew, okay, when mom gets to this stage, then I'm good. When mom gets through this, then we're good. But losing my hair was hard for them. I mean, it was hard for me, but it was really hard for them because I didn't act sick right away. But when I lost all my hair, then I looked like a cancer patient. But I just, I stayed really open with them. And I said, any questions you want to ask me, anything that you want to know, anybody else you want to talk to, I fully support that. And they wanted to talk about it a lot in the beginning. And then after a while, it was, I mean, we're five months into this, right? So it's not like it was a short-term thing. And so after a while, they were like, yeah, I, you know, I kind of just don't want to be reminded of it anymore. And I, and I, you know, totally understood that. Mm-hmm. Well, as someone, uh, you know, I'm sure most everyone has been touched by cancer in some way. And both of my parents were diagnosed with the same type of rare blood cancer 
back in 2011 within two weeks of each other. So I know being a child of a parent who was going to go through that journey, it certainly was, uh, as you said, I wanted to know what the next steps were. And and I really love how you've kind of um, embraced your control freakness um, <laughs> and, and made sure that you understood the plan before proceeding with major life decisions and or talking to your children or understanding what you're going to do in terms of job search. So it's been about six months, almost exactly, since you got laid off. And when we're talking and six months since your diagnosis, what's been probably the most surprising thing to you or something that happened differently that you expected over the last six months? And how did you handle that? So I have had, you know, obviously good days and bad days. And I mean, there was a point in time where, I mean, I got mouth sores, I couldn't open my mouth, I couldn't eat or drink for days. Uh, I couldn't walk because I got uh, more, you know, chemo side effects. And the thing about it is, I discovered that if I would just sleep and just let my body try to heal, then it, it seemed like it was almost calming to me as well. And like everything would be okay. And everything that I've gone through and every harsh side effect, or I mean, I had a blood transfusion at one point in time, like it has not been easy, but I've gotten through it all. And I learned that it's okay to ask for help. Uh, I did not want to ask for help at first. And then I was kind of forced to, and then I only wanted to ask for help from certain people. Like I was really okay with, with my like close girlfriends being helpful for me. But I, I, it was really weird because like my mom is a, is a retired nurse. My dad is retired pharmacist and I didn't want them to help me. Like I was, I was so proud of being independent and on my own and not needing anybody's help. And they wanted to help so much. And I just thought, well, well, no, I don't, I don't want that. And then eventually I, you know, got over that and I accepted all the help and all the love and all the support from everyone. But I mean, I think the biggest thing is, is I lost my best friend to cancer last year. So knowing what she went through and what her family went through, it was a year ago, actually, in December, that we had lost her. So I got diagnosed a year after she passed. And it made it real scary for all of us. But it was a different type of cancer. She had liver cancer. And so just being able to move forward from that and to make sure that my kids were okay and to accept the help. And I'm so freaking loved. I get cards in the mail from people that are in our HR community and, you know, I'll come home from treatment and not be feeling the best and I'll open up a card and it'll say, Hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, I'm thinking of you. And I mean, people in, you know, not, not local. I mean, like international friends that are reaching out and checking on me. And I don't think anybody has any idea how much I appreciate that. You know, I was going to ask you, Nicole, about um, lessons learned from this experience, but then I decided I hated that question because why does everything have to be a lesson? Like that puts a lot of burden on a cancer patient so I, or on anybody, right? You know, how come we just can't experience things? And maybe there's no lesson in this, but I wonder what's your take on that philosophically, not the lesson, like forget that. Have you learned lessons? Is that even a worthy question? Advocate for yourself. 
Mm. Um, I'm really thankful for the medical team that I have now. I would not, I would not have had the same experience if I had been actually diagnosed six months prior, but I didn't even question that the doctor was like, nope, doesn't seem like it's cancer. Be on about your way. You know, like I, I, just, I was like, oh, okay. Well, if the doctor thinks so, then I, I mean, I must be making too big a deal out of this and did not advocate for myself. And one thing that I have read over and over um, support group that I'm part of is so many women that have had that same experience where they went in, they, I mean, you know, your body, right. They found the lump themselves. They went in they, you know, asked for, you know, diagnostic imaging or, or whatever. And they were either denied or they were told like, Nope, that's not what that is. Or it would stop at one test. And when they said, well, we don't really think that it's cancer, then they would just turn them away. And then sure enough, three months, six months, whatever months later, the person said, and then I was diagnosed with cancer. And guess what? It was cancer back then too. So I would say advocate for yourself. So that is infuriating to hear. And the other thing that's infuriating is how I think people don't realize that cancer can bankrupt even the most financially secure families. It is so expensive. Jennifer mentioned her experiences with her parents. And I have an experience with my brother who is a teacher, right? He saves as best he can and he and his wife do well, but cancer just took them out by the knees financially. And so I wonder if you can speak about your experience financially with cancer, especially on the heels of a job loss. Yeah. Yeah. So I went from being a senior vice president to being unemployed. So that's what a 90% pay cut. I didn't prepare for this. You know, I mean, I had savings that's gone. I cashed out the retirement that I had had for the six months that I had been putting into at that last company. That's gone. I mean, my Cobra is almost as much as my mortgage. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's expensive. And, and that doesn't even count. I mean, so you're diagnosed with cancer, right? And then you have to have the PET scan. Well, that is a pricey procedure. And then you have to have an EKG. That's pricey. And then my port placement uh, was $20,000. So, I mean, not my cost, obviously, but I mean... Yeah, real cost yeah. though. Yeah, absolutely. But at, and then at the same time, my bills didn't stop. So it was, you know, I'm I'm looking for a job. I'm I'm, you know, getting, you know, the little amount that unemployment is. And thankfully, my parents have been able to help me, you know, little by little. But I mean, I went from being having money and savings and being debt free to, I mean, I've got tens of thousands of dollars in debt because I mean, I don't, I don't have an option right now. Yeah. 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 And it's that part is, is stressful. And that part's hard as well, because I was really proud of being independent and the sole provider for my kids and saving for retirement and having savings and not having debt. And I, I mean, I worked so hard for that. And I mean, it just, it's only been five months and that landscape has changed that dramatically. Well, Nicole, I mean, Obviously, listening to your story, it's very impactful. And I think one of the things that strikes me, you know, as you said, the, the people who have really reached out and wanted to help. And I know I struggle with, I I don't often reach out enough to the people I care about, especially when 
maybe they're hurting, whether it's, you know, with a, a cancer diagnosis or financially, I know I didn't reach out to you until I was for sure that you had told everybody uh, online and elsewhere. And then I told Lori, um, who is- And I'm like, wait, uh, I'm not on Facebook. You got to tell me sooner. <laughs> but Lori's the complete, Lori's the complete opposite of me where she's like right away reaching out to people, which is why she's my friend. I can learn a lot from her. But one of the things Lori suggested was maybe be creating a GoFundMe for, you know, that's that's what people have to do in a lot of cases these days to to recover, as you said, from some of the things that were both unexpected and outrageously expensive. So we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, and share the link. Um, again, we've set that up and we want to help you. And we know that there is a global community of people who would love to support you and maybe even people beyond that who've had similar experiences in their lives. But maybe before we share the link to that, and it's just your perspective. I know everyone's different. My mom didn't want anybody to know. <laughs> she was adamant the first time since she had a relapse. And the second time she was like telling everybody. Um, but what do you recommend for people who do care about someone? Is it best to reach out right away to offer support, to just send a text and say, thinking of you? What do, what do you find most helpful for you? The periodic check-ins are really helpful. Because like, so I set up the Caring Bridge site pretty early on because I have family out of state and, and I also had, you know, friends and it was just kind of a lot to try to manage like text strings and, you know, WhatsApp conversations and all of that. And so I created the Caring Bridge to, to kind of give updates and also to, to have a, a, you know, a journal of, of the journey. But I didn't share it on Facebook for a long time. I was probably three or four months in before I shared it there. I shared with just a, just a few people in the beginning. But the things that are most helpful to me are people that will message and say, hey, can I buy you and your kids dinner? Or, hey, just wanted you to know that I was thinking of you. Or, that When you have people that say, hey, let me know if you need anything, I'm not ever going to, I'm just, I'm just not going to ask, you know, well, one, I don't know what I need um, because it changes daily and it can get really overwhelming. And I mean, there might be something I didn't even realize would be helpful. So I think the number one thing is, I mean, if you know how you could help somebody, then just offer to reach out and help them. I mean, I've got friends that take me to all my treatments or my boyfriend will take me to my treatments. But I mean, you know, that's 16 treatments. That's a lot of time off for someone to take. And then I'm going to have surgery this summer. I mean, I'm, I'm not done when I'm done with chemo, I'm going to have a bilateral mastectomy July 19th. And so I'm kind of just beginning really once I finish with my chemo. One of the experiences that people have with cancer is that they, to your point, don't know how to ask because they don't know what they need. And then when someone offers to help them financially, they're almost a little embarrassed. They're almost a little ashamed, right? So I just wonder when I approached you about a GoFundMe, how did that make you feel? What, what was your reaction initially to that? If it would have been January and I still had some nest eggs sitting there, right? I would have been like, no, I don't need that. I think I'm good. I I was confident that I was going to find another job right away. I mean, all of that, right? The timing of you reaching out and asking now, I mean, it's 
much more impactful. I feel like I had a responsibility on my part of my savings and my resources and things like that. And I wanted to make sure that I had exhausted that before I asked anybody else for help. And so I've gotten to the point where now I need help. You know, from my mom's cancer journey, again, the first time around, she was like, nobody can know this. And we're like, really? But eventually, I guess maybe she did tell a few people. And I know, I don't remember the exact words, but one of her former pastors was still a member of her church. And I remember that she told me that uh, at church one Sunday, he came up and he he told her he was going to do something. And that's why I don't remember exactly what it was, but he phrased it because I guess he knew who she was. He said, I'm not asking, I'm telling you, I'm going to do this. And ultimately she told me about that because it meant a lot to her that he just said, this is what I'm going to do. You need to let me care for you. Um, and so again, I really appreciate that, that Laurie thinks differently than me and says, this is what we're going to do. So. Oh my goodness. Well, listen, I'm just bossy in general as Jen yes. knows yes. that about me. That's hundred percent true. I just wonder, Nicole, as we start to wrap up the conversation, if there's one thing we haven't touched on that you would like people to take away from this podcast? I mean, you've said so many brilliant things, but is there also one thing we may have missed? So I shared a bunch of links with you. And I want to make sure that the word gets out that there, if you are diagnosed with breast cancer, there are so many organizations that just want to wrap you up in support. I've gotten these really cool uh, like care packages from the these organizations. Um, Phil's Friends is one of them that's on there. And there are children that color me cards and mail them to me. And it's, oh, it's the sweetest. But it's just that feeling of like, hey, you're not alone. There, The one is called I Have Wings. And they actually sent me cloth wings to wrap around me during treatment. And one, it's wonderful because it's freezing in there. And so I just put it, you know, up around my neck, but two, like somebody prayed over that and they just want you to know, Hey, you're not alone. People are thinking about you. We're all praying for you. And it's just been really amazing. And, you know, it's interesting when, when you were saying before about, you know, not wanting to take any support from anyone else. I mean, in the beginning, I actually felt kind of funny reaching out to any of these places because I'm like, oh, well, there's got to be somebody who needs this more than I do. And, you know, I should just let, you know, the people that need this more than I do, you know, have these resources and almost like apologizing for asking for it. But no, there, there are some really amazing organizations out there that, I mean, they can't, directly, you know, pay your bills or give you money or whatever, but they can show their love and their support in their own way. And it's, it's been really amazing. Well, this is where you dear podcast listener need to actually take action here. I know I listen to a bunch of podcasts and both Laurie and I are sharing this on our individual podcast, Impact Makers and Punk Rock HR. And sometimes you'll hear the podcast host say, we'll link up to all this in the show notes. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Or how do I even get to those? But I want to tell you that 
uh, we will share the links to the resources that Nicole shared, as well as a link to the GoFundMe, which I'll also share with you here in a minute. And all you have to do is if you're listening on your mobile device, just click on the more tab on the episode description, and that will take you to the show notes. But it will also be on my website at jennifermcooler.net and also Laurie's website in the show notes at laurierudeman.com. So, so take that extra step to check out these resources. Uh, if you want to donate to the GoFundMe, you can find that. I forget, is it Nicole? fundraiser is that the title yeah something like that it's but something give them the give them the, the fancy bitly well laurie <laughs> has gone above and beyond and created a fancy bitly link that she's dying for me to share with you <laughs> and these must all be lowercase i've been informed uh letters when you type it in bit.ly forward slash in roberts hr and again if you didn't catch that it's going to be in the show notes and every little bit helps uh, maybe you can't send Nicole a shawl that's been prayed over. Um, you could probably donate to the organization that does that. Or you can't buy dinner for her and her family, but there's some way that you can help as she kind of bridges through this process. And and as you've heard her say, she started her own business. And I know she and I talked a couple of months ago and I, I shared the, I'm sure, very encouraging stat of my first year in business. I made $12,000. So. <laughs> And then I went and pay for a port, <laughs> but then I went, well, that, but, but it gets better. So, you know, there, there will be some times that she'll need to navigate and, and you can help in some small or large way through that. And maybe through some of the other resources that she shared. So, so uh, I want to do a special call out, Jennifer. I didn't mean to talk over you, but listen, if you're in, if you're in the state of Ohio, you're part of Ohio Sherm or Illinois Sherm or Indiana Sherm or Sherm in general, you know, the power of Nicole, you know, how she brightens up your network. She brings you smart ideas and she's fun and she's sweet and we love her. So if you're part of these communities, maybe you cannot donate, but you can certainly share the fundraiser. You can get the word out. If you're lucky enough to go to Sherm Annuals Conference in Las Vegas, where I will not be, but Jennifer will be, make sure you get out on the hashtag, you know, Sherm23 and talk about the fundraiser. Do everything you can to let other people with means know the time is now. That's how I feel about that, Jennifer. Boy, you almost sound, I was ready to come to the altar. I'm ready. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Great job. Well, is there anything else that either of you would like to share? And again, Nicole, we'll link up to peoplesolutionsgroup.com. So if people can also uh, check that out, what is it? Maybe you can leave us with what is that you are doing through People Solutions Group? How can you help organizations and people? So People Solutions Group, it was created for HR consulting as well as coaching and my goal is to create a generation of leaders who have cultures where people feel supported, appreciated, valued, and seen. I mean, that is literally all that people want. They just want to know that you see them. They want to feel supported. They want to feel like their leader, you know, cares about them personally. And I have spent the, the last half of my career helping organizations do that and helping leadership teams do that. And so... Um, I also offer individual coaching. So, you know, let's say this is not something that your organization is bought into, but you personally want to work on your own development. That is 100% what I did when I first started leading teams is I wanted to learn everything there was to know about being a better leader. And so I wanted to make sure that that was accessible as well for individuals and not just for companies and not just for teams. 
That's a great way to kind of uh, wrap this up. Is there anything you'd like to say, Pastor Ruderman, before we move on? (laughs) Well, you know how cynical I am about the world of human resources. But one of the things I love is that we are a community of people who care. And back in the day when I started in HR, they told me, you can't care about people. This isn't high school. This isn't real estate. You know, it's HR. But they were wrong. We should care about people. We should love people. And Nicole is the embodiment of that. So Nicole, I love you. I'm so glad we were able to connect today. And thanks again for being a guest. Love you guys. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this bonus conversation with Nicole Roberts and Jen McClure. Now, listen, We're going to have a bunch of links so you can go out, learn more about breast cancer, support victims, support their families, get involved in the survivor community. All of that is going to be in the show notes. But the most important link I would like you to click on is the link for Nicole Roberts's GoFundMe. You can go to bit.ly, B-I-T period L-Y forward slash M Roberts HR and hit up that GoFundMe and make a donation, or you can head on over to Punk Rock HR and we'll have a very clear link over there. But once again, thank you for joining us. Thanks for being part of the community. And thanks for having Nicole Roberts' back. This episode of Punk Rock HR was brought to you by BetterWorks. When work is better for people, companies thrive. Visit betterworks.com to drive improved business results through their innovative performance enablement platform. Visit betterworks.com today.